Hi, welcome to Clitterly Speaking, the podcast. I'm Michelle Doherty. And I'm Emily Lane. We are BFFs dedicated to bringing you conversations between girlfriends over a bottle of wine. Oh, I am so excited about the wine part. Oh, me too. So pull up a chair, grab your glass, and let's get talking. Hey, 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 Emily, how are you today? Hey, 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 Michelle. I'm good, despite the fact that I'm not actually hanging out with you in studio right now. I'm sitting on the floor by a fire with my little doggy right here. Um, so glad to be having a conversation with you. But, you know, we're, we're recording in this time that things are still COVID's on fire a little bit. <laughs> I remember that in the hospital right now. And I'm just like, you know, yeah. I think going to just sit in front of my fireplace and catch this conversation. So. Well, we're glad you have such a lovely venue to be uh, conversing with us. Um, <laughs> we miss having you here in the studio, um, but uh, everything, I mean, everything's understandable, you know? Yeah. I mean, if, uh, hopefully, and, you know, when we get past all this and we're all vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera, then we won't have such a fear. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we have joining us today Britt Bogard, Britt Tate Bogard, but um, before we bring her on, I just wanted to see what's new with you. I mean, it's been a little bit since I saw you, and, um, you know, what's what's happening? I mean, you said your uncle is in the hospital? Yeah, my uncle is in the hospital with COVID, as is his wife, okay. and, you know, they're, they, they live a very, they naturally quarantine, you know, most of their friends are you know, older and they're not getting around and socializing with them out of great caution. And so it's really a kind of a quandary as to where he got it, probably the grocery store, because that's really the only thing he does, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's, it's sad, you know, I, how old is he? He's 74. Okay. Oh, okay. And, you know, he's definitely, I talk to him every day. He still has his sense of humor, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really scary for sure. You know, um, you, when you start hearing, you know, somebody, an adult, like I know we're adults, but, you know, like. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we're adults. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you start hearing fear in them or sadness or, you yeah. know, that getting, you know, um, yeah, it's just a, a dynamic that I don't think you're really ever prepared for. And then, you know, and then it happens. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but he's really getting good care. He's he, getting good care. He is getting good care. And, okay. um, you know, my family and he's got neighbors and friends that are all checking in on him, checking in on his dog. Like, okay. good, good. Home and so he's got a good support system, but good, uh, good. yeah, yeah. So that's kind of been a development on my side of things. Okay, uh, yeah. Well, but, keep us know, keep us posted. I know we're going to be releasing this episode in a few weeks, so we'll definitely um, include an update on how your uncle is yeah. when we release the episode. <laughs> so, yeah. how about? You? Well, how are you and your family coping right now? Um, well, so it's the same situation as it has been. You know, we're doing pretty well, me and the boys. But I have to, I, I have to tell you what has made me so very excited in my life. Mm -hmm. I went to see my foot doctor last week. 
or the week before, you know, and I, and, and as our listeners <laughs> have know, I have been dealing with plantar fasciitis since April of 2018. And so my feet have just basically, my right foot's basically been hurting this whole time. It's mm. some, you know, I, I'll, whatever step I could take. I don't actually have plantar fasciitis, but like I had the heel spur and just like pain. So my my um, foot doctor suggested I buy these shoes, um, this manufacturing that called Hoka, H-O-K-A. Game changer. Life changer. Game changer. Oh my God. They are not inexpensive. So I'm thinking Hoka needs to be a sponsor of our show, but I have gone, I have, I walked a mile Friday. I walked two miles yesterday. I walked two. Yeah. Do you have some? I have tried them on like at the Nordstrom. I've seen them online and researched them a little bit because I also am afflicted with the the PF. And I tried on a pair at the Nordstrom Rack, and they were a little too wide. That particular pair was a little too wide because it's Nordstrom Rack. You know, you you get what you get. Um, And I was walking in them, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's like walking on marshmallows. It is. So I'm like a happy person. Okay. Not that I haven't been, you know, not that I've been like, you know, unhappy, but I have not in pain. Now— they're definitely not Emily Lane style shoes. They no. are not attractive. Not even a little. They're <laughs> not, like moon shoes. They, but but I figure oh my, I miss those moon boots. <laughs> but I figure if, yeah. if the smile on my face makes up for it, I can I can I can walk around in my comfortable shoes. I wear them all the time. I cannot wait. I've got to check into this because I need because you know my entertainment right now on the weekends is just marathon walking. Like right. That, I do to entertain myself. I drink wine and walk and push my dog. And, <laughs> and you want, she asked us what we did, uh, what our professions yeah. were. And now you just um. said, I'm a street walker who's drinking wine. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like True. to, I like to think that you're walking 26 <laughs> miles <laughs> and drinking wine. Just oh, like, yeah. just like strutting with a glass in your hand. Yeah. 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 I have actually a pretty fancy little wine tumbler, but mm. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I did start out with, you know, the typical glass, but it just, it's hard when you're pushing a stroller, stuff splashes out. I like to preserve my wine. That's yeah. just, yeah. Well, you're not at the, like, the bra. I have seen the wine <laughs> yeah, bras. You're not there yet. <laughs> I don't have enough to support it. It would just fall right down. Well, so. no, this is like a, it's like a, there's like a bladder. That go, yeah. It's like a push-up bra, but you fill it with wine, and then there's like a little straw that comes up the strap. I okay. saw some. I saw a couple women with that at yeah. the improv shop back in the before times, and I thought that was really cool. And I looked it up online, and it doesn't come in my cup size. Yeah, well, it doesn't come in my like girth size. <laughs> I don't know like, what number that is. I don't know what they call that, but my around. I think you have to be like an A B or yeah. a very very uh, tiny C. It's for little league games and soccer <laughs> matches, like. I think this sounds like an opportunity for uh, you know a. a, a plus size or a more robust, a robust bust size um, product. I want it like a Spanx. Like I want it to like, I want like one that, that can, has compression, but also wine. Lifts and stores your wine. Yeah, exactly. Like where, where it like pushes and gives me volume where I need it, but like pushes in where I don't. 
Yeah. You get the va va boom curves with yep. your like the the you know vino va va boom or something like that. I like it. Yeah. Oh my god, we just yeah. got rich. We just did. We just joined <laughs> right the one <here>. percent. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Little do they know what's going to hit hit them next. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm very very happy. We, we should you know get Hoka to be a sponsor on our show because I'm because you know they're not inexpensive, but ladies d- definitely take a look at it. They are worth the investment. They are they're right. definitely worth. It. And now that I know they've got them over at Nordstrom Rack yeah. on occasion, I'm going to yeah. be checking that out too, so I can have one for every day. <laughs> it's going to get expensive because yeah. I like looked at them on Zappos and I was like. Oh. Yeah, so I was like, "Well, really? they were one seventy. Yeah, like they're not like a car payment, but they're like. But yeah. I'm telling you, I am a much happier person. My legs don't hurt. My hips don't hurt. Walking is not a chore. They're marshmallows. Um, I mean, it's just like with a, or like that's a, but it's a little bit that's a little bit stiffer than a marshmallow. Yeah, but it's like actually, I feel like I'm wearing flubber shoes. If you hmm. remember the, yes. the movie Flubber yeah. and the basketball players that bounced around, I feel like well, this is what I need for my walking shoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's definitely and yeah, I need it. Yeah, you sure. you'll be happy as well. Definitely. You'll so. look ridiculous. So you'll you'll have I'm, to get like an eighties or nineties like track suit <laughs> to go with it. I mean, I'm fine with that. You know, I'm yeah. already strolling down the street with my little dog in a stroller. Yeah, nobody's with- looking at you. They're looking at the dog. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, even my son William commented that they you know, mom, those aren't the prettiest shoes. And I'm like, no, they're not, but I don't care. Because yeah. I yeah. feel good. There's an age that you reach where it's just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Function over fashion happens. <laughs> and it seems like as I turn 51, everything hurts way more. And I'm like, whatever. I don't care. I mean, I, yeah. I look at like, you know, cowboy boots and I go, well, maybe someday, you know. <laughs> With an insole. <laughs> well, I have the orthotics. This is just, you know, <laughs> one more step. Well, as you should tell Hoka to, Hoka to make that. Like, a it's boot uh, with yeah. that technology. Yeah. I don't know what that technology is, but it's like memory foam. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so nice. It's awesome. So anyway, we just gave them, what, a 30-minute commercial? I, we did, yeah. <laughs> I'm ex- we're expecting a check in the mail now. A free pairs of shoes. We'll tag them on this episode. I mean, everything. like, what is like 300 and well, 170? I'm not a math teacher, so. But like, it's not that much. It's like a drop in the bucket for them to send us yeah, some definitely, shoes. definitely. Definitely a drop in the bucket. But anyway, well, let's talk about our wines, right? In the bucket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's- in our glass right now so we are drinking separately so i have my own glass and i know you're drinking something so yeah do you want to start sure we'll start um uh when we uh, had our pre-meet with brit she said that she liked um cheap wine um uh whites and rosés and Good. so i did not i'll I mean, this is definitely in our price point. Um, this is the Pinot Project. It's a rosé from 2019. and oh, um, a good year. It's a good year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, you know, $12. It wasn't that, you know, it was right there in our in our price point. And I got it at Randall's. And um, so far, it is so tasty. It is. And it's very smooth. Hmm. The um the notes are you know, like wild berry fruits with a hint of orange blossom. That's what they say. Nice. 
It is very like subtly fruity too, though. But it's not like yeah. it's not like a punch in the face with fruit, and it's not too sweet. No, it's just like well, I like it, and um, and it's really a clean and mm-hmm. um, and bright. It'd be good with chocolate. Yeah, it'd be good. It reminds me of summer. Mm-hmm. It definitely reminds me of summer. Yeah, so for sure. I feel so, like yeah. a I feel like a real housewife. When I drink it, like a real housewife of Beverly, they are always drinking rosé. Yeah, we're the real housewives of a uh, the Lou of the Lou. So I'll uh-huh. let you think about the peony with that, Michelle, yes. and I'll introduce what I'm drinking. So we've had wines by this producer before, Clonoli. We've drank their Puy Fusé in previous episodes. The one with your mom, yeah, and your yeah. daughter. Um, this is, uh, the, from the, uh, little Appalachian, the Mecon This is a, a white burgundy. Um, it is fabulous. I have to say you can find this as low as like 15, $16 on up to 30, depending on where you're buying. So, you know, um, but on the nose, I get butter, I get um, baking spice, star fruit, some minerality, pear and cream. On the palate, I'm getting lemon curd. It's got some nice acidity, again, some spice and a little papaya. I mean, it is yummy. It is one I definitely recommend not over chilling. Oh, okay. Yeah. For whites. Okay. Like I've had it out of the refrigerator for an hour. And it is singing right now. You just described vacation <laughs> when we used to take vacations. Yeah. That, that just sounded like vacation. I was like, oh. Glass, ladies. Wow. Yeah. Everything from Clonoli has been delightful that we've that we've drank. Um I on on the show or, you know, personally at home. So that's um definitely somebody I would would not worry about um going wrong with. Mm-hmm. Or, or however that works. Um, so, uh, well, Emily, you tell me if you were if your if your wine was a panty, what kind of panty would it be? Oh well, it's definitely a vacation panty. Mm. Like it is a skipping on the beach with your cheeks hanging out kind of panty. <laughs> so your vacation panty is a little different than my vacation panty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but it's okay. You, it's your it's your panty. It's your it's your panty. So if I were to describe um, the Pinot Project, uh, if it were a panty, the rosé, um, I see like a, a <laughs> kind of a satiny material and um, uh, delicate um, little lace insets with it, or you know. Um, in it with it but it's gonna um it'll cover both cheeks but not in a granny kind of way does that make Got sense it. yeah yes, in a like matching bra kind of way yes definitely a matching yeah. bra kind of way yeah. i mean i would describe it as one that does not come in a three-pack <laughs> do you know what i mean like it's like it's like one of those pairs of underwear that's on its own hanger right yeah because that's yeah. a thing it is. Yeah. And it yeah. Is. yeah. I remember the first time I learned that um bras and panties could match. Yeah. I was in uh <sighs> in Wales and my friend Pip and I were going lingerie shopping. You were in Wales with your friend Pip. <laughs> yes. Lingerie shopping in <laughs> Wales. Okay. Well, I was studying abroad. Okay. And uh, Yeah, we were, you were. We were. Her name was Pip. <laughs> <laughs> and and Pip Pip explained it to me. I was like, "Holy cow, bras and panties can match." 
and it was a whole new world. Yeah, Fruit of Loon doesn't advertise, advertise that. Neither no. does like Hanes her no, way. No, they just give you a bunch of colors. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, you'll match your bra. Up. You, yeah, you have like your white, your your beige, your blue, your heather gray, <laughs> yeah. and then heather blue, exactly. and then black, and then you might line up. Yeah. Your, your bra, you know, they, just, they figure you're going to have a white bra and you'll have a black bra. And maybe you'll have one of those other colors in there Yeah, um, when you're buying. Hey, you always need like a one that blends in with, you know, with your skin. The nude? The nude. But yeah, nude or, you know, yeah, something that blends in because if you're wearing something sheer or whatever. So yeah. you and need the, at least those three basics, In right? the summertime, I wear a red bra. <laughs> <laughs> To match my skin. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's real. So, that's just diversity. Right. Um, you yes. have your Irish, your summer Irish girl, <laughs> yeah. and your all of the other sunburned right. tones. Right, right. So yeah. anyway, um, we have... <laughs> We have a great guest with us today, and uh, excited to have you on on the podcast today, Britt. And uh, I just wanted to let our listeners know how we met. I was reading the Humans of St. Louis Facebook. Um, they do a, a remarkable job, and they they did start. Um, uh, they mimicked the humans of New York, and then they've you know they've done humans of St. Louis. So it's like a photojournalism essays, and in December of 2020, Brit was a featured person. Um, and it was an incredibly interesting series of, or a long essay that was broken up into different, different posts and pictures and stuff. And I was like, oh, I really need to meet her. And, and she needs to be on our show if she wants to. And so we reached out and, um, Emily and I had a conversation with you a few weeks ago and there was it was just an incredible story and you have a you've got you have so many layers <laughs> that it's like I want to I want to talk about them all but you know our listeners would never get off the podcast so well I, I think we're gonna have to have you back a few times because okay. there's so many different things let's do it um that are fascinating um what you what you do so anyway, Britt was the 2019 Educator of the Year for the St. Louis Public Schools. I was the Visual and Performing Arts Educator. Oh, so it was in the category. Yeah, so there's like there's a handful of different categories, and I was the Visual and Performing Arts Educator of the Year. It was like an English teacher from C- CVPA that won over like Overall. everybody. Okay. Yeah, she's a way better teacher than I am. <laughs> well, um, so Britt, has, you teach art at, I do. at uh, t- two elementary schools in I the city, public, city of St. Louis public school system up on the, in the north side mm-hmm. of St. Louis City. And for the people that aren't from St. Louis, um, we kind of have this divide um, that's been there for generations um there's a street called delmar and they call it the delmar divide and everything north of delmar is african-american and south of delmar is typically white and you can pretty much in your mind guess like what happens or what has happened over all the years there's disinvestment in the north as when there's overinvestment in the south um uh, and you know, even in 2021, it's still there. And one of the things that just struck me with your the the essay about you 
or your interview with Humans of St. Louis was how you didn't pull any punches. No. You just laid it out there. <laughs> You're like, you called, you called white people out. I did. Yes. I did. A few times. I did. And, and I have to say this too, like the interview, you know, they also edited that interview down. There were even times where um, I very much called myself out. I, I am equally part of the problem. Um, and I think that that's something that got left out a little bit in that interview. Um, uh, but like we're all white people kind of part of this larger problem because we all benefit mm-hmm. from the white from white privilege and the other luxuries that come with being white and affluent and things like that. And so, you know, and even as you think about the Del Mar divide, we still, um, even deeper into the South Side too, um, there are still African-American families that are, dis- you know, disenfranchised down there as well. Um, so while we're very divided north and south, right, yeah, like yeah. we definitely still are the, creating a lot of the same problems, even deep in the south side, and especially with our um, our schools um, and things like that. And so, you know, it's it's a tough road to travel down in education and it and as a parent in the city of St. Louis, um, because you want to do what's best by your kids. Absolutely, but and, but and it's I have really kids. Hard, yeah. But it's really hard to do what feels right as a parent, what feels right as a St. Louis resident, and what feels right as an activist and um, an ally. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and I talked about that a little bit in in the article because I am a St. Louis City teacher. I am a St. Louis City um, property taxpayer, and we own our home, um, and I opt to pay tuition to send my children to private school. Mm. And— It had to be a really difficult decision for you. Yeah. It was definitely something that we did not come to lightly. My children started in the public schools— and then we had gotten to a point where they had tested into the gifted program. And at the time, Columbia did not have, um, where I teach up at two schools on the north side. So I teach at Brian Hill Elementary, which is a neighborhood elementary school in the College Hill neighborhood. And then I teach at Columbia Elementary, which is half neighborhood school, half gifted magnet school in the Jeff Vanderloo. And at the time that my daughter would have been entering kindergarten, they had not established the gifted program up there yet. Mm. Um, And so I think had that been started, I might have gone a different route. Um, But we ended up selecting, we ended up looking into a a bunch of different things. She had gotten into Mallinckrodt and then— Mallinckrodt is a gifted um, school in the— in the South City. Mm-hmm. Kennard is also another gifted school. CJA now. Oh, they the, dropped They, dropped they did. Kennard. They ended up, um, and I have to toot the the Kennard CJA um, PTO and like just family because they worked incredibly hard recently and actually over the last few years to 
abolish the name Kennard um, for was, his— Because he was a slave owner. He was a Confederate. Oh, that's right. He, he was, was like, very publicly— yeah. And so those families um, and um, the le- the parent leaders and things like that worked incredibly hard, and they were incredibly persistent during the pandemic even, at a time where they kind of kept putting it off because the board meetings were all right. very much devoted to COVID. Right. You know, like, the, these these moms rallied— And we're like, no, we cannot put this on the back burner any longer. We cannot send kids to a school with this name on the front of it. Um, So I really commend them for doing that. So we refer to it now as CJA. Yeah, so now it's the classical junior. And so otherwise, but I think everybody still calls it canard because that's— It'll probably take a whole 10 years to drop it. Because you got kids that started, you know, like it's just going to take the probably yeah. ten years before it's now for longer called that. So yeah, so she had gotten into that, and she had gotten into um, city garden, mm-hmm. you know, because we looked at char- like the charter option. We live in the Shaw neighborhood, um, and so we were like, and I was kind of interested in just throwing out applications everywhere. Um, and then she got into City Academy up on the north side, and they're a private independent um, school. That is predominantly African American. It is up in the Penrose neighborhood um, off Kings Highway, and you know we we checked out all of our options. And when I went up there, um, I just fell in love yeah. with the place, and I fell in love with their mission. And one of the biggest things that that kind of sealed the deal for me, besides the fact that she would be, they would be much closer to me where I teach on the North Side was that their school provided before and after care. That's very helpful. Their school provided, like, dental care on campus. They provided vision testing and free glasses. They fed them, you know, two and a half meals a day. There's so much wrapped, so many wraparound services within that building that it was just sort of like that is what I needed because of my bell schedule and my demands. And my husband was still overseas um, working as a merchant marine. So we really needed all of those things. And right now, unfortunately, the the majority of the public schools do not offer no, they don't. any aftercare. So it's, yeah, they don't have to, they don't. Unless no, you're, and... and and we got, a, I mean, we have a, we were there on a lot of scholarship and things like that. And, and the school worked really hard to make it affordable for us. Um, and 100% of the students that go to school there are there on different levels of um, scholarship and tuition. And, you know, I went in there and I was just very much like, I have three and I need this to be sustainable for their whole <laughs> academic career. Is it uh, through eighth grade or through? It the- is through sixth. Through sixth grade. So, you know, like, and and I've worked really hard to sort of, um, well, every, te- every good teacher is also a really good thief. So I'm very good at like <laughs> stealing their ideas oh, or okay. sort of appropriating how like things that they're doing that's working. And also at the same time sharing what we're doing. Um, it does not mean that I am not hypercritical of them as a school um, where I'm just sort of like, hey, um, you guys have the money to, to do more with sustainability or green practices and things like that. Like why aren't you? Um, even through COVID, I've been hyper vigilant about being all over them with equity issues and making sure that like kids are at home are getting the same education and, and things like that. Um, 
How do you do that? Like, how do you ensure that kids that are at home are getting the same education that, you know, kids that are in class are? And I know that this is a real problem right now Mm -hmm. with COVID. And, you know, I have I have a couple of nieces or a couple of, of, uh, I have a niece and a nephew in, in St. Louis. And, you know, my niece is just, I mean, she's going to thrive no matter what situation, Mm -hmm. you know, and she's doing just fine. She's, but now my nephew is definitely more of a hands-on learner and he's struggling a little bit. So Mm -hmm. what are things that, that can be done to help with that gap right now? Well, and when kids came back, one of the hardest things was what we can give kids at school. So if a teacher decides at the last minute, we'll use what happened um, at the Capitol for a perfect example. Okay. So what happened at the Capitol happens. So the next day, you know, teachers who have the kids in person could very easily photocopy resources and very easily like hand kids things. But the kids at home don't have that same stuff. You can't, you know, you can't work on the fly as much as what I think really good educators are the ones who kind of can can tweak the daily schedule and the daily things that you're teaching based on, you know, sort of know your audience. Right, right. So, you know, um, and and virtual learning makes that real, hybrid le- teaching makes that really, I, really difficult. I would think so. And yeah. I, I would think that um, not every family is going to know to even go look for other resources mm-hmm. that yeah. like the teachers would give. But I, I guess to Emily's question, you know, you're going to have people who are, who, who are thriving mm-hmm. at the virtual learning and would probably be a thriving student in, in class. Yeah. Um, but when you are, have the ones that don't, what, what do you, do you require more from maybe the parents or, or to, and then, I mean, gosh, yeah. we've, we've been asking a whole lot of everybody during these COVID times, but, um, you know, it's like this, you know, you, what do you do with the ones that, or how can you help the ones that aren't a thriving online virtual mm-hmm. learner? Well, I think that that's the hardest. I mean, I, I don't have a magical answer. I know what I do. In the field that I teach, you know, I teach art. And so while at the beginning of the year I was able to make like packets to send home and I was able to send home scissors and and all of these things, a lot of times where kids were learning at the beginning of the school year is not where they were learning, you know, in the middle of the school year. And a lot of times they're traveling to like a a TT's house for a while or even my own children have gone to my mom's to learn for a couple days to give me a break. Um, Thank you, mom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. God bless Nana's. Um, And so, you know, like you cannot assume that they're going to have all of those resources that you gave them. You also cannot expect six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, 17-year-olds to keep track of all of these materials and these supplies. Yeah. So, you know. I can't even keep track of my glasses. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, you should see, like, (laughs) there's— This kind of glass. These kind, but not the ones I need to actually look at, look through. <laughs> and so, you know, we've we've done additional, I have to, this is where I have to toot, like, school counselors and support staff in schools. Because, I mean, we have people in our buildings who are driving all over town to get these kids' materials. Wow. Like, Good you find you. out that somebody needs more paper, or you find out that somebody needs another hotspot, 
or things like that. And, you know, mom, mom or dad has to work or the per, you know, one family member has the car and they've left for the day, or it's just a pain to get on, you know, three buses to get up to the school to grab these things. Like we just have support staff, you know, who are driving all over town to drop materials off to kids. Yeah. It's, it's been phenomenal. You, 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 you made, oh, uh, let me put my words back together. <laughs> you made a statement when we had our pre-interview, pre-meet interview about at the beginning of the COVID times, um, as an art teacher, that the superintendent was basically thinking, now I can get rid of, I can, I don't need to pay to have a PE teacher. Yeah. I need to pay to have an art teacher because nobody's doing, they're not seeing them in person. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me that, that it was so punitive. Mm-hmm. And so short-sighted because why would you, why would you look at this time called COVID and the, and what everybody's going through as an opportunity to trim your budget? Now, I'm sure that there are other businesses out there that have done that, you know, and let the government pay. We did just vote to close eight schools. <laughs> oh my God. Right. I, I mean, know. it's not funny at all. No, no. But it's just sort of like you want to talk about. I mean, right. Yeah. So, so not only are you having to, you know, take care of the kids, but you had to like continually and- prove to the superintendent that, yes, you need to pay the PE teacher. Yeah. Yes. I mean, why, why should they lose their job because they chose to teach art and music and PE? God, right. if, if kids need art and music and PE at any point in time, it's now more than ever. They always need it, period. But but now more than ever, mm-hmm. as they're <laughs> to their homes, as they're not getting social outlets, you know, being able to express themselves musically, artistically, physically is incredibly important for intellectual development you know, uh, uh, every, in every aspect of development is important. Not to mention social change. I mean, Mm -hmm. in the middle of all of this, we have had multiple waves of social unrest. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? We've had, you know, everything that's gone on with this elect, this previous election down to last, you know, like two weeks ago when, oh my God, was that two weeks ago? No, it was just, it was like a week and a half ago. No, it'll be two weeks. Like, no, it was last week. It was right. We're, we oh. are we're recording this oh, on uh, on January the eighteenth, uh, MLK Day, and so, so it was a week and a half ago. It was no, it was a week ago to, on on Wednesday. It was the thirteenth. No, it was the sixth, January sixth. Yeah. Wow, it feels like it was <laughs> right. It's so hard to track, isn't it? It feels like it was yesterday and three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. no, you're right. There's been a ton of social change, and the I mean, everything that came with. The death of George Floyd Floyd and, you know, Breonna Taylor and everything that followed just over the course of the summer, losing um, John Lewis and just the on top of the death. RBG. Yeah. I mean, and so if there was. We're up nearly 400,000 people dead from COVID. And so it's just if there was ever a time that people needed an outlet, it has been now. Yeah. And so I watched that school board meeting and. You know, I heard my superintendent say, well, that's fine. If we're going to stay virtual, then we don't need art teachers. We don't need ancillary teachers. And I immediately took to 
the chat feature <laughs> in YouTube. Which oh, did you? Did get me in a wee bit of trouble with my principal. I can't believe they don't have that disabled. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good TV. Uh. <laughs> you know, um, and I immediately was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Some of us are killing it with the virtual learning. Like, there, you know, there were people who, there were music teachers across the country who had found, like, new ways yeah. to teach kids how to make music using things around the house. There were gym teachers that created entire YouTube channels to, like, activities with pairs of socks. You know, I had taken up teaching, like, things on, you know, we did self-portraits using your dirty and clean laundry. So you had to make your <laughs> eyes out of, like, balls of socks and your hair out of, you know, like. Yeah. And and so it was just sort of like your most creative people, you know, really took to took to the challenge. Well, you know. like adapted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we look back at other times, you know, like um, other big social changes and, and like the 1918, you know, last pandemic you know what what do people look at they look at the art that was made they look at the literature that was written they look at the music that was made in the mm-hmm. songs they do not look at somebody's budget they also don't look at anybody's test scores no they don't they don't go well you know <laughs> you're like i'd like to see jimmy's report card from you know 1919 and see if he had any academic loss during right. that last pandemic no it's just sort of like that's not that's not what stuck you know we have an opportunity right now we we had and we still have this opportunity right now to completely revamp how we've been doing education because arguably we've we've not figured it out we have overcomplicated it so much. I'm just like, I don't understand why teaching people has to be so hard. We've been doing it for hundreds of years. You know, yeah. it's, you know. Well, I think, I think that there's, I mean, that, wow. Okay. The, to me, this is like such a multi-layered conversation yeah. because, you know, I feel personally that there are uh, other motives involved with education. And, you know, my dad talks talked about when he was a kid, you know, he, he was graduated high school in 66. So, you know, he talks about, he was good at math and, you know, as a kid, there was the race to the moon and, you know, all that stuff. And so because he was good at math, he was really pushed down science and math and, you know, oh, you know, we need more people pursuing that curriculum so that we can, we can, you know, beat Russia and the race to the moon and all this and that, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I remember going through school and very distinctly, my brother's three years older, he had the best education. He had teachers that were teaching thought, like, Mm -hmm. oh, here's your problem. Here's how you logic your way through that problem. You know, I was not taught that. I was taught, nope, the answer is A. The answer is A. You know, why is the answer A? Because you have a vagina. The answer is <laughs> And you're not taught to, no, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, well, that's I part think, of it. I like, think things changed. I think the way, I think the, yeah. the the government funding and all this and that and in the expectations of schools were like, our tests, the, 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 you know, making sure that everybody is performing at a certain level with tests 
My class, I saw a dynamic shift from like third grade to fourth grade and going from, we're going to teach you how to think to teaching you how to answer this question. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I remember being tremendously frustrated by that transition. And I, I think that the teachers were unfortunately like the pressures for them to teach to that, to that, mm-hmm. um, they were, you know, they didn't have a voice in the matter, you know? And so I don't know. I, 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 I you're being, a, you being a teacher will have definite more insight on how it looks today, but I've always, I've kind of felt that our education system from the government down has been developed to maybe not create great thinkers. Yeah. I think that, you know, we talk, there's been a recent turn to redevelop education again because we have to, like, completely redevelop it every, like, few years. You know, you've got to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Um. Which, thank goodness, the primary colors never change. So, you know. <laughs> well, that's, you know, <laughs> like, so far. This is where I'm really lucky. <laughs> it's like one of those things where, like, there are definitely, as someone who went to elementary school in the 80s, there are definitely still projects that to this day I teach that I learned, like weaving. Mm. Weaving never uh, changes. And weaving a paper placemat, yeah, like, will changes. always like you still, you know, like, and, and so it's like so important to me that like I still teach them. Like I'll teach you digital photography and we can do a little bit of like graphic design and art, but by golly, you will make a color wheel you and you will yeah. mess with paint and you will weave paper and you will like do all of these very like 1980s well, those are things. fundamentals. They're important. And they're just like yeah. awesome. And what's so cool is then the kids take them home and the parents immediately like pick up are like, oh man, I made that. And I'm like, see, <laughs> I cannot even tell you. I'll tell, I have to tell you really quick. One of my favorite things about virtual learning uh-huh. is the parents being at home doing this kind of stuff with their kid. I mean, I have had, like, siblings. I've had, like, aunts and uncles, grandparents, like, elbowing kids out of the way to, like, watch my drawing lesson and then are, like, sharing it with their kid. They're like, look, I drew it too. You know, um, it's just been this really awesome kind of— Benefit. Absolutely. Because if—I mean, it's really easy to look at all the terrible things about it. Yeah. But there have been some super—like, it's been so cool to, like, get to see—get the kids to be able to see a little bit into my world. They've gotten to watch me have to parent at the same time. They have, like, seen Miss Tate in full-on mom mode where, like, I mute— and then I turn and yell at my kids, and they can, like, see and read my face, and they know that, like, my kids are in trouble. And then I come back, and I'm like, okay, guys, and so now we're going to do a pull-down line, you know? And they're just like, whoa. What happened? Miss Tate, did you just have to yell at him? And I'm like, mm-hmm. Or, like, the moments when, like, my children are hungry all the time. And so then I'll just sit, and, like, my kids will come in, and I'll just be like, oh, God. And the kids are like, Miss Tate, what's going on? I'm like, can you guys just go hug a grown-up and just tell him you're sorry, even if you don't think you did anything? Just go <laughs> yeah. hug a just go hug a grown-up. Yeah, yeah. You know, like and, and so, you know, parents have gotten to see that we're human also. Yeah. Um, and we've gotten to see, you know, I mean, I have seen some other stuff that's been crazy. Yeah, I'm sure. And and I mean, I have also 
shown sides of my family that like I have accidentally unmute and like screamed a slur of swear words at my dogs and 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 stuff like that like they have heard me yell at like Spire Gas Company for like <laughs> drilling into the sidewalk while I'm trying to teach and I think I've put myself on mute but instead it's just the kids can just hear me and I'm like okay, yeah please well, tell me I still have a job human you know yeah. I think it's I think that's, that is one of the nice things. It's like about- seeing your teacher at Target. You know what I mean? Yeah. But instead you're like, you're seeing your teacher like in her house and like she stands up and she has on like pajama pants, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> it's sort of oh, like, yeah, like you're, you're trying to keep it professional, but then somebody like spills water and you're like, whoa, you know, um, so I want to ask you, I want to ask you about, um, your, like what, led you to RTJ. For me, like going through school, my favorite school memories are my art classes. I loved, I loved art. My second grade teacher taught, taught art every week. We had a different artist that we would study. And so we would do like an art in the style of, you know, Mondrian, Mm -hmm. Van Gogh, like, and that's where I got my first taste of art and then chased it ever since. And so you know, I, I'm interested in learning about you and your discovery of art, you as an artist, and what led you to become an art teacher. So when I was very much like the little girl in elementary school that lived in the art room, like anytime I could get out of PE, I hid in the art room. I was just blessed with like the coolest elementary school art teacher. Um, and his name, his first name is actually Art. His name was Art Davenport. <laughs> And he, I mean, God, I had, he was like my first big crush too. Like, (laughs) I just remember he had a ponytail. I mean, he kind of looked like, it was like a Michael Bolton ponytail, but nonetheless, he had a ponytail and he just was so inviting and he had the craziest ideas and he drove like a VW Beetle that every, that he let the kids paint every year. And like, he just was the epitome of awesome, excuse me, of awesome art teacher. And so he, you know, and he immediately like picked up on those of us that were artsy. Uh. And so he just sort of like opened up this door for me to like live in the art room. And he always encouraged my mom to sign me up anytime he knew about an art camp or he knew about an activity or something. He always like was reaching out to my mom and other of us like this little art cult um and so you know I knew so from from a very early age on I was like I'm gonna be an artist like Mm. that's it I'm gonna be an artist and so you know I my mom is an educator and so when I was in college I would work at a school on my I would work summer camps and summer schools and things like that and help out So there was always, like, the education element, but I was still going to get my bachelor's of fine arts, and then I got a master's in fine arts, and I really originally wanted to be a professor. I was like, I'm going to be an art professor, and then I'm going to make art. I'm going to live on the East Coast, and it's going to be so fancy. (laughs) It's not. It's, like, so expensive, and it smells like pee, and so, like, that just didn't really pan out. Um, The East Coast. Yeah, I am, like, such a Midwest gal that, like, I very quickly, like, convinced my Philadelphian husband to come to back to the Midwest. And, um, you know, so then 
I was working as a professional baker because in graduate school, my artwork had a lot to do with the American act of consumption and our Mm -hmm. fascination with decorating things and Mm -hmm. this concept of like beautifying and consumption, but also at the same time, um, the idea that we want our women proper and we want them to look just so. And so um, I lived as a plus size Barbie doll in Detroit, Michigan for a while. That's so cool. And in my photograph, I, I um, worked photographically. So I would, I had a, I wore a weave and I had my nails done and makeup and I was like sponsored by Matt Cosmetics because they had just put out their Barbie line And so I did these photos where it was sort of like behind the scenes in the dream house and Barbie was just like stuffing her face with like cupcakes and donuts and really, really ornate little petite pedophores and things like that. And so it was all about this idea of like, you know, she looks so polished on the outside, but like she's secretly consuming and like living this like fat girl secret behind the scenes. And it was a lot about embracing my size and my beauty and at the same time, you know, how much we as Americans love these really sort of these things that we attach these like really negative stigmas to like donuts. Like, oh, donuts are so bad for you, but like they're so tantalizing and gorgeous and they're so delicious. And they're such like a vaginal metaphor, yeah. the donut. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah, so. About that, but. <laughs> so I, I taught my, well, it got really expensive to buy the pastries. So I started teaching myself how to bake these really ornate things. Um, so then I get out of school and I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? Like I have this master's degree and all the student loan debt. And I'm like, I want to be a baker. So then I sort of worked in bakeries by day and then made art by night. Um, oh, wow. So then I had like three kids in two years. Um, wow. And then I was like, well, now what am I going to do with my life? Like I can't go to work at three o'clock in the morning anymore. Um so I, my daughter was in school here in the city and I would like go and hang out at the school and I was like, oh my God, I love this. <laughs> you know, elementary schools still smell the same yeah. as they did like when, when we were there. Yeah. I mean, like the smell doesn't change. The Like the place is still like, I was just so nostalgic and it just immediately took me back to like Mr. Davenport and I was like, oh, dude, I could do this. And then I looked into it, and it was just sort of like, oh, well, you have a master's in your field if you're willing to take, you know, like X number of coursework um, through UMSL. You have two years to get certified. And I, like, pulled it off and, you know, did all the things and was like, you know, now I can't imagine this path going any other way. Like I feel right back where I feel there are just days where I still feel like that same girl, like in 1987, you know, paper weaving. Um, And yet I'm on the other side of it and I'm like the grown up in the room, which I forget sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, like when the kids are all like joning on each other and stuff, I'm like, Oh man. And I'm like laughing and I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm the grown up. I should stop. I should stop this. Um, So it was really just, you know, I don't know. And then I've even thought about it, too. I'm like, well, maybe I should move up to middle school or high school. And I'm like, man, elementary school is so important because if you can get kids hooked on art 
at a really early age, it's just so—it can just really send kids on a completely different path. Even if they're not really good at it, you can teach them to be appreciators of it and to notice it. And you can start training that eye, even if, like, they don't have the greatest skills— and there's just a lot of confidence that comes out of, like, making something, yeah. you know? Um, so what do you do to—do you still make your own art? Um, or is that on the back burner for now? So my art, my own art has kind of changed. It turns out there's not a huge market for pictures of me dressed as Barbie eating cake. Um, not a lot of people are buying that for their living room. So, I mean, I, I'll have to, like, send you a link to my— Yeah, because yep. I'm fascinated Because let me tell it. you, and it's one of those things, too, where, like, the pictures— Like, one of the photos that really got a lot of traction is this image of me, like, in a bra and Spanx, sitting on a toilet in curlers, just shoveling donuts in— like, my mom's always like, your mouth looks like an asshole. Nobody wants that, <laughs> you know? And so, um, and it's true. Nobody does, not even my mom. <laughs> and so, you know. Um, so when did you do this? Um, so this would have been in, like, the mid-2000s. The mid-2000s. So now the work has changed. I Yeah, but I, but I can still see where the, the theme mm-hmm. The theme is still very relevant, and the performative element is, is still, still there. Um, yeah. And I'm—I haven't seen your work. I'm just going to throw this out there. I would hope that you could identify some of the pain yeah. that the plus-size woman, yeah. who's fighting to be that Barbie picture, mm-hmm. you know, like instead, you know, it's not just a caricature of her, yeah. but you know, is that, is that pain evident? Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is like, there's a little bit of that pain element, but there's also like full on Lizzo embracing Okay, that like I was doing before Lizzo. She probably saying. saw your work. She probably inspired. did. Let me tell you, there's not a day that goes by that I'm like, please don't let these kids Google me. <laughs> you know, because the minute they do and they like dig very far in the Google images, there's like a big old picture of me in my underwear on the toilet. And I'm like, there it is. Like, that's how my in-laws, like they saw my artwork in a museum before they even met me. And I was like, well, your parents have seen it all. <laughs> so here Yeah, but it is. it's still pretty cool to say that, you know, my in-laws saw my artwork in a museum in before a museum. they met. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, I would say now. So then my artwork changed a bit um, as it, I would say it, it made its most pivotal change when I became a mom. And I still tried to be like a career independent woman. But now I had like not just one, but I had like these three kids So for those at home, I have an 8-year-old and I have twin 7-year-olds. So, like, I literally had three kids in, like, a year and a half. Um, And and so then the work really changed, and I started doing a lot of work about my struggles with infertility. Mm. And um, I started photo-documenting the the process of infertility and then the sort of aftermath of infertility where like my hormones are a disaster now and i had done all of these injections and so i saved every single needle from five rounds of ivfs and i did some photo shoots where i just spread them all out and then i stuck like two weeks worth into my stomach and held my kids and was just wow. sort of like 
That's pretty powerful. Here it is, and this is what I did. I haven't done anything with that work yet because I just— I have to release it when I'm ready to fully release it. Because, like, once you put those pictures out there, you can't pull them back. Yeah. And so I've kind of held on to that. Um, I've then also since lost a dramatic amount of weight and had a breast lift and a full tummy tuck. Mm. And I documented that whole process. I documented the, like, mom body and then the weight loss and the sort of, like, sagging and— you know, like, yeah. and did these, like, kind of manipulations and then documented the post-surgery of the, like, you know, like, I have, like, the little, you know, like, tubes coming out of me still. The drains. Yeah, the drains. And then, you know, the incisions because I was just sort of, like, there's going to be a time in my life when I really am going to be glad I documented this and I'm really going to be ready to sort of show this and normalize these things. I think that that's where my big passion is in my work is sort of normalizing and adding a, a slight bit of humor to it all also. Um, and I do that a lot as an art teacher too where I really try to always add a slight layer of of humor. Well, let me let me— ask you this question the fact that you have it seems to be and i can't wait to google you and like go really far down and you know check everything out probably provide links from it on our i'm not the blonde marathon runner with the same name there's like two brit tates in the world and she runs marathons and is like an olympian and And, then there's like and then the fat art teacher dressed as barbie and And i'm like yeah that's you um the fact that you were willing to take um incredibly personal um some some would say traumatic mm-hmm. uh, situations that you've gone through. You know, IVF, even living as a plus size woman can yeah. be a tra- tra- trauma. Um, you know, being a mother, uh, going through plastic surgery. You know, tummy tuck, breast lifts. I mean, it is a plastic surgery. I mean, it is. Yeah. You know, and then there's this the um, you know there's stigma with all that. That ability to. Uh, honor authenticity, your mm-hmm. authentic life. Help does does it help you help the kids you work with help them release or acknowledge through art their mm-hmm. own authentic situations? Um, I mean, I think so. The kids, if there's one thing that my students will always tell you about me, it's that I'm unembarrassable. Like I do not get embarrassed, and I'm very very transparent with them about everything, like to a fault. Probably some days, probably more than my principal would like me to be. Um, But, like, I really try very hard in my own artwork and in my own life to be an incredibly transparent and authentic human. And I really try to share them, share artists with them that are very authentic and transparent whether they're talking about LGBTQ issues or we're talking about race issues or we're talking about poverty issues and stuff like that in artwork, I really try to always show them artists who are really transparent also. And I just always try to be really honest with them. Like, they'll ask me really hard questions sometimes. And as a white woman, a lot of times they're not areas that I'm really qualified to to even answer. And I'm always very honest with them. And I'm like, I'm going to tell you what I think I know. And I'm not going to tell you that this is fact because I 
you know, I walk my path as me and you walk your path as you, you know, and I really just try to be like, and then at the same time, like there are times where I'm just like, you know what? I don't really know. (laughs) You know, and I'm just like, teachers don't know everything. And, you know, but like the kids will always tell you that like, you know, I'm the teacher that will, like, take responsibility for the fart in the room. <laughs> like, because there's always, like, that one kid that farts after lunch. And I will always take that bullet for a kid. You know, and kids will be like, oh, man, somebody farted. And I'm like, oh, sorry, guys. Miss Tate's been on the whole 30. You know, like, they know that I will totally— I have told them, like, embarrassing stories about, like— getting hospitalized in Italy and having to walk back to my apartment in a diaper. Like, I mean, I'm just super transparent (laughs) about, like, because I just try to, like, normalize these really, like, just, like, things that we just shouldn't be embarrassed about. I tell them all the time, like, stories about, like, my kids getting in trouble because I'm always, like, at the end of the day, like, I'm still a mom. Yeah. And, like, I still, behind the scenes, have to, like, deal with my son, who's a very self-righteous, mouthy little... Well, I think that the fact that you do have that approach yeah is so refreshing and i don't know that my principal loves it well you know (laughs) tell your principal to start listening to clitorally speaking the podcast she's gonna get all kind of uh all kind of stuff but um, yeah but i was guess what i was trying to say is that in our world Mm -hmm. um Typically, everything's shallow, and everything yes. is uh, there's a veneer, and and you know you try to you know match this idea when when if we can accept and and embrace and and yeah. celebrate our our realness, mm-hmm. which is what we do here on the podcast, um, and you know we would all be better for it. Yeah, I mean, like it's one of those things. Like my kids, my students all know that like my kids were made by science. Like, I'm very transparent about that because, you know, they'll talk to me about it. And they're always like, Miss Tate, why are your kid? Why are you so old and your kids so young? <laughs> I'm like, okay, back off. You know, because they'd be like, well, my mom is like 27. And I'm like, hmm, well, mm-hmm. good for her because it's young people's game, this parenting business. Oh. And, you know, I'm like, well, it took my husband a long time to make it work, you know? And and I talked to them about how, like, we had, you know, we we tried to do it the old-fashioned way, but then we really needed science. And I sort of explain, you know, in a very generic way because yeah. I'm like, I don't even really understand what was happening. Um, but I'm really transparent with them about that, and they're always like, really? And I'm like, yeah, like, That's you know. That's how it works. Because I felt like when I was going through the infertility stuff that it was sort of like, it was, like, shameful, and it was just sort of, like, nobody was really talking about it. And I was like, can somebody just please come on to Instagram and tell me, like, what's going to work and what's not going to work and just be really raw about this? Because it is, like, so uncomfortable, and, like, the nurses don't really know because they've not been through it. And the doctor's a dude, so he definitely doesn't get it. And then everybody, you know, gets pregnant when they talk about a baby when you're going through it. And so it's just sort of like one of those things where I was like, where are the real moms that like get that, you know, have a failed IVF cycle or have, you know, like. I I mean, I hear more stories of failed than I do successes. Yeah. Like I have many friends who have been through it, many friends who have conceived through it, but many who have, have you know, given up, and then once they give up, they finally get pregnant. You know, it's a it's a roller coaster of a ride. Yeah. Right? And so, what are some of the 
you know, what are some of those thoughts you would love to share with somebody who's going down that path that maybe, you, you know, you didn't get <laughs> from others? Like, what are those unknowns or some of those pains that you didn't expect? Like, I didn't expect the aftermath of all of it. I didn't expect that, like, my thyroid was going to be really fussy afterwards. Because like, it's oh, a wow. it's a lot yeah. of hormone. Yeah. In it. I'm on thyroid meds now for the rest of my life because wow. of sending my body into these like fake hormone experiences. I mean, it's just sort of because what you're doing is you convince your brain to tell your uterus to ovulate, but then you tell your eggs not to ovulate, but to grow a bunch. I mean, it's just sort of like the, the sheer chemistry involved is crazy. And then the side effects from all the meds are just so squirrely. And everybody has completely different, like, experiences where I've, like, met other women who were going through it, and they just, like, had it so together where I was, like, so mean some days to my husband and so emotional other days and then other days I was just like I just don't give an F like you know like whatever and then you know we we went through like two failed cycles we went through a miscarriage so then there's that feeling of like it worked and and you're like and then a week later like you lost it and you're like (sighs) and then my husband at the time was a merchant marine. So he was like going out to sea and was gone. So I went through a couple of the cycles like by myself. Like the day I got pregnant with my daughter, my dad took me to the doctor to get pregnant. (laughs) Like it was like the weirdest things. Like there was just like nothing normal. So it's like, of course, like when it was time for me to like deliver my daughter and she was breached and they were like, it's going to be a C-section. Like, we're so sorry. And I'm like, whatever. There was literally nothing conventional about how I got pregnant. There's not going to be anything conventional about getting her out either. Yeah. Like it was just all so, I mean, it was to the point where like I can drop trow anywhere because I'm like, whatever. I have been in stirrups in front of so many people now that I'm just like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so, you know, I, I think it's just, like, the more honest and the more you, like, find other women who go, who have been through it and the more, like, humor that you can find in it, it makes it so much easier, too, when you can just laugh and be like, there's so many gross things. Well, and as, as like, time <laughs> has gone on, right? I mean, like, you, you had this done eight years ago, mm-hmm. seven years ago. So we're talking, you know, early 20, 2013, something like that. Yep. Um, and so... Compared to, you know, what was going on 10 years before then, you know, people would, people didn't know what the yeah. side effects were going to be. You know, there, there comes a time when you're like, oh, wait, uh, this is all wonky because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, some people may not have put two and two together. Mm-hmm. They might not have, like, realized, oh, this is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I I had colon cancer in, and did six months of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I'm still dealing with the side effects of that poisoning my body, yeah. right? And go and my thyroid and my mm. hypothyroidism and, you know, and, and just so fucked up. Um, so. I'm, I'm glad to be alive. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, but still, nobody's, I mean, nobody wants, they, they just, they fix you, they, they fix you, yep. they get you pregnant, you yep. know, and then they just 
out the door. Yeah. It's what it's, comes afterwards. Yeah. It's like when you have the baby and then three days later they're like, okay, bye. And you're like, hold on. Wait a minute. Well, see, you're lucky because when I had my first child, it was 24 hours. Oh, yeah. See, and mine were C-section. So, like, the first one, oh, my God. So, my first one, you know, like, it was five days, and then we went home. And then my twins were premature because, of course, damn Lincoln. My son Lincoln has been a pain in the ass (laughs) since nine weeks before he was supposed to be. Um so my twins were 31 weekers. So they were in the NICU for 45 days. My oh. husband was in Korea. I punched and I punched an intern in the face during my delivery. Wow. Like it's crazy. Oh my God. Like my daughter's ballet teacher at Coca came up to me one day and she's like, I know who you are. And I was like, <laughs> What? And she's like, Yeah, my mom was there the night you went into labor. <laughs> Her mom was an L&D nurse at Mercy. And she's like, I heard about your birth story. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I heard you punched a doctor. And I was like, I did. I told him to wait. And he just went on in to do a pelvic exam. Because I needed like a minute to be like, this hurts. And he just didn't. And I just, out of the fury, reached up from that bed pregnant with two people and just socked him in the face. (laughs) You know what? You still need consent. He will never... He will never do that to another woman. I helped that bedside, that man's bedside manner. He certainly did. That or I sent him into like urology. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know. But like, you know, but like that's the thing is just sort of like, so then like the NICU experience, there were like so, oh God, that experience was crazy too. And so like, I just had to laugh through all of that too. And I was really like kind of like transparent about Things that were going on during that time, too, because it was just sort of like, oh, my God, it was so crazy. Like, I say this, but as if I can remember 2012 and 13. Like, I don't remember those yeah. years. Like, with three people under two, it was just sort of you like— just, You were just laying on your bed breastfeeding. <sighs> I wasn't even—the they, they, twins had never even gone to nipple because they had been, like, fed through their nose. And then they got, like, the ridiculously overpriced Dr. Brown's bottles with the 37 parts. And so— like, I had to pump and then feed it to them. And it was just sort of like, you were just always like a cow. Yeah. And I remember, like, cracking jokes because, you know, like, this is at the height of moms being like, I will breastfeed anywhere. <laughs> and so then I was like, that's it. When we go to a restaurant, you better ask for a booth with an outlet because I'm pumping anywhere. <laughs> you know, because it was just like, I was like, well, that's fine because these breastfeeding moms can just pull it out wherever they want. Well, then that's it. I'm going to start pumping wherever I want. <laughs> Because I'm having to feed two, you know? So it was just like, I don't remember. Yeah. It was just so crazy. What's that? It has to be exhausting. Oh, it was just stupid. I was drinking Red Bulls by day and then switching to Lima Rita's by night. It was just sort of like, I mean, like I said, I legitimately do not remember 2013. Like, it's just gone. Somebody was like, oh, how did you? I was like, I don't know. The pictures look adorable on my phone. Like, I'm just living through Facebook memories. I'm like, oh, look at what happened eight years ago. And so you you, uh, got the three and uh, you were like, I'm done? I'm done. I'm done. I donated the, the straw of sperm that we had on ice. And was like, here, give this to some other mom who doesn't want to pay for a cryogenic tank of sperm to come from California. Because I was just like, you know, like, it was just crazy, you know. So, I mean, 
And I was really lucky, too, that, like, I met a few women. But, like, I just remember sitting in the waiting room at the IVF doctor every time. And, like, all of these women are just, like, like nobody's talking. I'm like, we're all here for the same reason. Like, everybody's yeah. broken in some way. And we're all—and it was just sort of, like, you just looked at your phone and you didn't talk to the other women in the room. And I just was like— Because there's the shame kind of tied into yeah. it, right? I'm like, come on, ladies. Like, like we're all constipated. <laughs> we should talk about, like, what we're using as stool softeners. You know? I mean, it was just like— what one, Hey, hey, what are you in here for? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember because I was a baker at the time. I remember at one point I, like, brought my doctor's decorated cookies of, like, the different stages of embryo dividing because I was like we just have to have fun with this like it's just too much to like you know like I just it was so uncomfortable that it was just like we got to just find a way to like have fun with this because it was just so weird and I was giving them so much money I'm like my god there goes their college education I was like yeah. Like when they want to like go to college, I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, I gave birth to you instead. So not to mention the NICU bill. I'm like, come on. I'm like, these twins have already cost me a house, like mm. a few houses. We could have lived on Flora <laughs> for what we've spent <laughs> a, on A these. rehab house on Flora. Exactly. We spent on these twerps. And you want to go to college? Psh, enjoy trade no, wait, school. You guys, you guys want Cheez-Its and, and dinner yeah. tonight? No. no I already, you're I, getting savorits from Aldi. <laughs> And I'll make you some cola in the soda stream. Mm-mm. Nope. Well, gosh, Britt, um, like I said, there's so much. So much. So much. But before we <laughs> before we wrap this up, and I don't know how to make this a short conversation, could you please tell our listeners about the Sound Garden Maker Space okay. that you have going on with your elementary school? Um, because I think this is a, yet another aspect that <laughs> <laughs> you— floor me um so it's yeah it's wonderful and if you could just share share this as this sure. project that you're working on sure so one of the things that came out of covid is we started to we decided to return in person and um my school is centered in the college hill neighborhood and like many public schools these days we don't have well at this particular school we have no green space we have a small patch of grass in the front of the building um but one of the things that everybody kept saying it was going to be great about going back to school in person was like, oh, it's okay. Kids can do outdoor learning and we can use outdoor classrooms and stuff. And I was like, what outdoor space? Like, what? No, like we have a blacktop and a very small playground equipment that we're not even allowed to use. It's like taped off. Um, so I was like, well, what are we going to do with kids? Like, where are they, you know, like, we're all just going to be stuck in this building, socially distant, <laughs> not moving in our little bubbles. And I'm like, so... Um, one of the luxuries of the north side of St. Louis is there's a lot of vacant lots, and there happened to be this massive triple vacant lot directly across the street from the school. And so me and a couple other teachers went over, and we started mowing the lot. And then I dreamt up this crazy—literally, it was a dream. It was so weird. I dreamt up this crazy outdoor sound garden makerspace outdoor classroom extravaganza and I got up the next day and I drew it on paper with Crayola markers and then I started reaching out on Facebook for things and so what we've designed um, at the corner of Gano Avenue and West Florissant in the College Hill neighborhood 
is this massive outdoor garden space. And so within this space are five outdoor classrooms. One is devoted to dramatic play, trucks, toys, um, where kids can simulate life and play with manipulatives. Another corner, we built a stage and then there's like a little um, audience with tree stumps and stools. And we even like created, got shower curtains. And so kids will be able to go out there and perform ELA lessons and readings and they can read poetry or they can sing, um, things like that. Then in another corner, we created what I call the sound garden, which is we've upcycled pots, pans, trash cans, buckets, anything that you can bang on and make noise. We've had multiple pianos donated. Um, and we've kind of invented, so you sort of think about like um, the musical stomp. Uh-huh. And it's sort uh-huh. of like that out there. Um, and then in the center is what I consider the art classroom. And we have built a replica geodesic dome similar to the one at the Missouri Botanical Gardens that is in the center. And we used a giant t- um, tractor tire and a wooden, the top of a wooden spool and created an art classroom. Um, and then on the fifth, cor- on the fourth corner slash fifth classroom is actual um, garden beds, a greenhouse, tons of picnic tables that were purchased thanks to the St. Lu- um, the Humans of St. Louis story. Um, and we've been able to buy like science manipulatives and life cycle things and stuff like that, so that they'll be able to do like life sciences in that corner. And so we just took this abandoned, overgrown triple lot and develop these five outdoor classrooms. And now kids can go out there during a school day. They can go out there on the weekends. Um, The other day, I had a little bit of extra money, and I bought um, solar spotlights. So there's light there at night also. Um, Because it's really become this sort of... Is it a focal point for like, yeah, the neighborhood? it really is. And it's been funny. Like, every time I'm there now, there are, like, people driving by, and they'll, like, roll down their window and be like, are you the purple-haired white girl who's building this? Because <laughs> apparently that's what I am now. And I'm like, I am the purple-haired white girl teacher building this. And they, and so um, I've met a few um, people who have sim- who have gardens, also community gardens on the north side, who want to partner with us. And I'm like, I love that idea of, like, um, older generations coming over and gardening with our oh, yeah. kids yeah. with the ultimate goal of um, we're starting seedlings now and we'll start growing in the effort to hopefully, I think this first harvest will just be like kids eating, you know, getting to yeah. eat the food in the hopes that we'll eventually build a sort of farmer's market and teach the kids, you know, like the marketing skills and, um, but we're really, well, it, right? It really yeah. is. But we're really hoping that this becomes like a pillar of the community and that, you know, there there is a gate, but it's broken. And so I leave it wide open because I really invite people to come in it and experience it. I don't want it to feel like something that just belongs to the school. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's been really I tell people all the time, like, come on over. And like I tell the kids that they can come on the weekends like it's not. It's not locked. It's totally open. And I have to say, my experience in community gardens um, has always been kind of a letdown because a lot of times you, like, work really hard and then somebody destroys it or this, that, and the other. 
My experience with this one has been really different. I even had an administrator, like, from the Board of Education come to, to see the space the other day, and he could not believe that, like, Tonka trucks and all of these toys had not moved. And I'm like, you know, um, my principal is such an advocate of community that she just, you know, like, she's built this relationship with our school and the community that there's just this level of respect that this is for kids and this is for the community. And, you know, we've worked really hard so that everyone feels welcome at any time. Um, So it's a really, really cool space. And if you're ever, like, up driving around North City, um, it's just a few blocks west of Grand and— you can't. I have a couple requests. Can you share with us the illustration yeah. of your, your dream? And then you have some photos that we can share? Yes, absolutely. I have um I can give you guys all of that stuff. Like and I have so my new idea is that what I want to do is I want to meet someone. I want to meet someone. I want to meet someone. No, I want I want to make friends with somebody who has a drone because I would really love to photograph this thing from above. Because I'll be honest with you. When you look at the space, you're like, oh, my God, an art teacher totally—I mean, there are rainbows everywhere. It looks like a damn gay pride parade. <laughs> like, it looks like the aftermath of June. It's so—I mean, it looks like, you know, North Halstead in Chicago. I mean, it's just it, rainbows everywhere. It's just filled with joy. It really is. Yeah. And it's just so colorful. And even the lights that I put on the garden, like, they color change to the rainbow. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it's just so rainbowy. And, like, you cannot drive down West Florissant right now without smiling at it. And I don't take— that lightly either because I mean we're talking about a space that is sheer miles down from the Michael Brown site right. and so it's just sort of like to bring this joy for my students and for teachers to be able to like go out there and be able to teach and yeah. get out of the classroom and the Wi-Fi still works so the kids can still come over with iPads and all that stuff like that but like I think we're really going to be able to combat you know, the sort of nature deficit disorder that I think a lot of kids are experiencing these days. And I don't know, kids are just going to get dirty and make noise. Yeah. And Be I'm a excited. Kid. Be, Be a kid. kids. Be a kid. Yeah, it's like I developed, I like built this little 80s time warp <laughs> where like kids can just bang on stuff and like destroy right, and right. grow. And so how know. can people contribute? So I have a sort of Brian Hill Soundgarden wish list on Amazon that people can, that I always keep like some weird odds and ends on. And then I have a GoFundMe. Um, Currently, we're trying to raise money to buy plywood and pay artist from the um, Painted Black STL organization. I would like to give artists plywood to paint murals, small murals, like little vignettes to put on the outside of the fence because I would like my students to see an artist besides me. (laughs) Like, I mean, I can go out there and I can paint them all this stuff, but I really think this is a chance for them to see artists of color in their community that look like them and, you know, are dealing with a lot of the same issues, create art for them. Um, But I also don't want to ask these artists to do it for free. So I've set up a GoFundMe to sort of raise a little bit of money to um, 
And a lot of them will totally do it for free. They've already offered. And I'm like, no, I need to give you something for your time and your work. Um, And so, you know, I'm hoping we can raise enough money to get the wood and then pay the artist to help me with these murals for the kids. But so I can send you all of the links for those things. I mean, really, the garden, our goal ultimately was to do it 80% upcycled. And we've been really, really blessed that I've been able to find so many things on the Facebook marketplace and just driving up and down alleys and um, grabbing things on my walk and people just being really generous and being like, I have these toys that I don't need anymore. And I'm like, I will take your old Tonka trucks Uh or I will take, you know, like I put a shout out on the Shaw board the other day that I needed um, old ironing boards and like two of them showed up on my porch and I was like, sweet. So it's just sort of like, Using the power of um, social social networking the and things like that. The power of community. Yeah, exactly. And it's just been really, it's been really amazing. And the outpour of support that came from the Humans of St. Louis um, article, you know, there were definitely things in that article that were not perfect and that I said that, you know, like I couldn't take back and that <laughs> I could have said better. And, you know, every interview I do, I try to do a little bit better and mm-hmm. make sure, mm-hmm. you know, but the rules are also always changing. So I'm like, well, you know, like it was okay when I said this, but now, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that being said, the majority was very, very supportive and understanding um, and people just— Gay just gave like crazy. And so, and my students were so excited. Like, we have a puppet stage that I got. Oh, neat. And so, like, I, there were people who like bought puppets of color and other like metamorphosis science puppetry and other science kits and things like that. We got gardening gloves, like, just everything we could possibly need. It's just been absolutely amazing. Um, but I still like, I'm always like, you know, finding something on the marketplace. And I'm like, look, there's free bricks in this alley. And I'm like, grab my husband. And I'm like, we got to go get this lumber that's left behind on Utah. And he's like, okay. All right. Well, you said um, when we met the first time when we were chit-chatting that uh, one of the kids' reaction to all of the outpouring of support, and you said to the kids, you're like, look, people do care about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? They do. And it's been, and, and like, they've seen it as it's come in, and they're just like, who, where did this all come from? Like, Miss Tate, did you buy it? I was like, Mom, Miss Tate does not have this kind of money. And I'm just like, and Miss Tate's husband will not let her spend this kind of money. <laughs> um, and I'm just sort of like, no, people from all over. And it's not even just been, like, St. Louis people. It's been just people, anyone who found that article. Um, and I've been like, oh, well— you know, like all of these grown-ups think this space is really cool and they remember being a kid and they remember that and they want you guys to have this and they want you guys to, you know, experience. Yeah. I'm not articulating super good. The rosé is like, hey. <laughs> That's No, it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's heartfelt. <laughs> like, hey. exactly what that space is all about, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. You know, the other thing I want to talk, the other thing I just want to mention is one of the things that is very real in St. Louis is that, like, this is, it's not my community. Um, I don't live up there. I work up there and I spend a lot of time up there, but it's not my community. And so I was very, very, um, I tried to be really mindful of that. And I try to be really mindful of that, like, I'm bringing this to the community, but this does not belong to me. This belongs to the community. And one of the things that I always did, and every time I post something, I always post 
like the hashtag Brian Hill Soundgarden, Brian Hill Outdoor Makerspace, and then um, beautification without gentrification. I saw that. Yeah, because I think that's really important is that, you know, in the beginning, I never wanted anyone to feel like I was just, I rolled up all of a sudden with my family and we started mowing this lot and we were going to take it and we were Mm -hmm. going to like build Uh something on it and stuff like that because that's never been what it was about. And it has always been about beautifying this for everyone because we are all part of that Brian Hill School community. And, um, you know, so it's been really important to me to sort of like maintain that beautification without gentrification because you, you can totally beautify things without being like, this is mine now, you know, because yeah. um, yeah. it's not. It's, you know, like I might have helped build it and I didn't build it alone. So it's not just mine either. Um, you know, it's, but but you also you you know that in you would like this to last 10, 15, 20 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And you won't be able to do it on your own. And it has to be. It has to totally be a community thing mm-hmm. for it to have longevity. Yeah. And it sounds like it has really good. It's got a really good start. Yeah. And really good <laughs> roots that are starting. You I'm know? hoping so. And I want to see. You know, one of the things that's come out of it too is that I want. I've started to link up with other garden leaders in our school district and in other school districts in the area because I think that what. Where I don't know how to do things, there are teachers that totally know the science and stuff Mm -hmm. between gardening. And then I'm more of a visual and ideas person. And so it's just sort of like we all just need to be working together to make these amazing spaces for kids, um, especially during COVID and especially during a time when kids are so linked to digital. I'm like, let's, you know, like let's build these attractive spaces with with what we already have and really build a sustainable food system for everybody. Yeah. So this is great. We'll have definitely have the links yeah, on that'd be our awesome. website. And if you um you know, you can always uh, look up Humans of St. Louis and uh, search for Brits um article and there's some pictures there too. You can't miss me. <laughs> She's got the purple hair. I do. She's not the marathon runner. She's nope. the girl with the purple hair. Purple chunky purple haired girl. Yeah. Well this has been absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time and meeting with us. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys found me and even asked me. I was so honored. <laughs> my mom was like, what are you doing? And I was like, mom. She's like, do That's not. That's your mom. She's like, do you know, not embarrass the family. <laughs> like just, she's like, sometimes you just get on there and you start running your mouth. And I'm like, okay. Well, you know, I'm sure she'll be proud of this episode, yeah. you know. Yeah. She's she's grown accustomed. My mom is like, I say this, but my mom is like the president of the Illinois like Women League of Voters or something, you know. And yeah. she's like a huge she helped get the ERA ratified in Illinois in 2018. Oh, wow. And she's like so liberal. She'll vote she would vote for people to marry goats if they wanted to. I mean, it's just like she's all in maybe if you Yes, I know. Yeah. Sounds like and she's I'd love, like. I'd love to get her opinion on yeah. Phyllis Schlafly. Oh my God! Right? Yeah, we. Uh, I know. I made my daughters watch it. I was like, you guys. Like, I mean, I'm like my little girls have like turned into like these little badasses now. And I'm like, oh God. Well, yeah, it's exhausting. I would expect nothing else, nothing less yeah. from your. They're children. much nicer than I am. They're like these little cute, sweet versions yeah. of me, and I'm like, well, the hormones haven't hit yet. I know, right? Yeah. Oh, well, um, Britt, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, um, you know, we'll definitely have you back. One of the things we like to say is we don't just drink with our friends one time. 
We like right. to drink with him more than one Absolutely time. Absolutely true. Yeah. Well, cheers so, to that. Cheers to Life. you. I will cheers to that. Yeah. Cheers. cheers. I know. I love yeah. it. I love that we figured out how to do this like <laughs> virtually. virtually. Yeah. It's been very awesome, the virtual realm. Like, I've been meeting people from all over the world that I would never be able to, like, chit-chat with. And I'm like, hey, let's hop on a Zoom. Yeah. Or, like, you want to come talk to my class? Hop on a Zoom. Yeah. You know? It's been very cool. We have have all managed to find the silver lining in this we've we've yeah we've all together we've been forced to adapt yeah it hasn't been like oh i'm going to be this uh this blazing trailblazer blaze trailblazer blazing or not i like <laughs> a blazing trailblazer um and, and i'm gonna like just create this whole new like streaming and in, uh interactive virtual stuff all by myself no we all were thrown in at the same time and we yeah. had to find, we had to figure it out together. And we're still figuring it and out. We're still figuring it out. And hopefully we will, we will retain the best yeah. of what we've done. I hope. And yes. keep it incorporated and yeah. not walk away from that. Especially, so. and I feel like in education, especially, because I'm like, there's been some really cool stuff about the virtual yeah. aspect. Yeah. Except for they took away snow days. Well, oh, well, snow- in St. Louis, we don't get enough snow. <laughs> Global yeah, warming, you're not going to get some snow days anyway. That's so. a whole nother, <laughs> another podcast. A whole nother podcast. <laughs> so we'll, yeah. we, will, uh, we will see you guys next week. If you have yeah. have, have any comments, be for sure to uh, leave us a comment on our our phone line. 812-727-0794. I think that's what it is. Uh, follow us on Instagram, oh, Facebook, something like that. <laughs> Whatever you do, just take care of yourselves. And we will see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to that.